Can you hear me? No, I respect Bobby Foster. I'm very much responsible for the success of this year's podcast. I don't know what to say. Um, I get like 20, 25 emails a day. I think our commission's a scumbag. Welcome. Me, the commissioner, my co-host, the usual, the man himself, the only guy providing content other than our mystery blogger last year, Bob Flesta. To the inaugural episode of the 2018-19 season of the O Show, the number one podcast in America that does not feature Matt Onderjack. Bob, how you been this off season? I've been doing absolutely terrible, if I'm being honest. <laughs> a few months, <laughs> a uh, few months ago, I was handed what is honestly. The most depressing accessory that I've received in my life, and that would be the Hello Kitty wallet. And you know, it's just been a real, a real slog ever since as I come to terms with this year of pink Velcro in my life. You know, it's there's always a moment uh, where you've forgotten that you have the pink wallet in your pocket, and then you go to take it out at a coffee shop or at a McDonald's, and then as your hand reaches into your pocket and you feel that. Velcro strap. You just get this like oily feeling. It's almost like you're naked in front of a auditorium, like that bad dream feeling. Yeah, I mean, when when you hear that Velcro, which is wearing down, by the way, just by the amount of pockets it's been in over the last few years, that Velcro just it's nails on a chalkboard. Everyone shrivels up. Everyone's who is that? Why are they here? What are they doing? What choices led them to actually have to use that? And it's just something that I'm going to have to live with for just about a year now. So uh, it's been pretty terrible. As I'm looking into it right now, I have it in front of the mic, and it's it's cold, dead eyes really led me down a path where I was started reading Frederick Nietzsche. I mean, he talks <laughs> about you stare into the abyss, abyss long enough, and it gazes back into you. And this Hello Kitty's cold black eyes have been staring into my soul, and I just need need to get it out of my life. I don't know how you feel about this, but I always thought that the worst so the worst exposure of the wallet wasn't when you had an opportunity to explain it. It's when it was like it was actually around strangers because you knew you weren't going to be able to explain to them why you have it because they would understand. They might think it's funny, but when you don't, and that person leaves your being thinking like, oh, it's 2018, like, that guy probably is into, like, super weird shit and just loves Hello Kitty, and, you know, like, that's just the world we live in. Yeah, that's the thing, is if it's the look of disgust that comes with no engagement. So, sure, it could be, <laughs> it could be a conversation starter, it could be like, why the hell do you have that? But then every once in a while you're going to have someone that looks at you like I'm, I'm into furries or I just watch a lot of anime. You know, it's just it's something that I'm going to have to deal with, which is why I'm trying to transition from the nihilism of Nietzsche to maybe like an Albert Camus. He wrote a lot Ooh. about the myth of Sisyphus. So yeah. each you got to embrace the absurdity. So each day I'm pushing that boulder back up the hill. 
each season. I just got to put it back up. You got to recognize the absurdity and you have to embrace it. He's not condemned to a punishment. He is enjoying and embracing this new lifestyle. And, you know, that's the, that's the mindset I'm going to have to take to make it through this dark period. I can tell it's has a sound effect on you. I mean, this introspective, you know, educated speak I'm hearing out of you, I mean, it's not that you weren't capable of it. It's just that I know if we run back to 2017 grades, uh, it's missing a lot of uh, philosophy and, and things of that nature that you're rolling down right now. You know, it was a more exciting time. David Keeper, uh, David Johnson still had a healthy wrist. You know, I'm I'm just happy in the first the first half of this game we haven't had our best player go out to a season-ending injury. You know, two years ago it was Keenan Allen. Last year it was David Johnson. So prayers up to Devontae Freeman and Zach Ertz because I, I just need them to stay up if I want to get rid of this thing. I mean, that's a risky, risky thing to say with a whole half of football still to play. I mean, speaking of the first half, I mean, your Eagles are are on the board right now. What are you, what are you thinking of how they're they're calling the season so far? I mean, this body weight on the quarterback flag, like, are, do you have to be Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible, not touching the floor? How are you supposed to tackle a quarterback, not touch his head, don't touch his knees, and if you bear hug him, you have to barrel roll off of him before you both hit the ground? Like, just just ban tackling if this is going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I've always been partial to the idea of turning it into rugby and just take the helmets off. And then, you know, you're not going to have to enforce any of this stuff because nobody's going to want to kill themselves. It's counterintuitive, but removing the helmets is exactly like you said. No one's going to lead with a hel- with a, without a helmet on with their head. So it's counterintuitive, but I actually I see it making a lot of sense. You know, I, I mean, but as far as this just horrifyingly pathetic Eagles performance, then I guess the defense has been okay um, in the first half here. I, I'm okay with it, you know, because at the end of the day, I got the best Super Bowl experience a man could ask for, and that's the one that is entirely and completely unexpected, where I just got to sit there and enjoy it. No pressure. There was not a minute of the season where I saw it. If the Eagles don't win the Super Bowl, we'll have wasted, you know, one of those precious competition window seasons where you have a chance. Never. Not for one minute. Yeah, not I, mean, in, I, I, I don't think until the final pass hit the ground that had I actually considered we were going to win the Super Bowl that year. Yeah, I actually went back, as I always do, listening to listening to last year's game tape, as one has to do if you're going to be a real football guy. And you mentioned in that in the podcast last year, you could splice it in if you want, that you thought they were going to be the good-bad team, that you thought they were going to be pretty shitty but would squeak out a couple wins, and lo and behold, you've got Nick Foles in the Super Bowl fucking winning it for you, similar to me and Dave riding with Mark Sanchez in the championship just grind out a backup Eagles QB for the win. And the one thing I do respect about this game, at least, is that the Eagles fans are booing them going in a half, only putting up a three spot. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Absolutely. Never change. Never change, oh. really. Oh, I mean, plus, I mean, it, it, after you got a 25, 30-minute lightning delay, there was the, the, neither team had any hope of getting out of here without getting booed. There was no world where that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Exactly. So before we get started, um, I do want to have just a brief moment of silence. We lost a good one today. I hope you have your fly at a half mass. I have oh, yeah. my zipper zipper in the middle, as is tradition when we lose a good man. 
Burt Reynolds. Oh, what a shame. Well, you know, let's God. take that moment. Let's take that moment. Real, real quick, and go. Sufficient. Sufficient. So we had we had a couple we had a couple really nice stashes in the in the draft with uh, Dave partner Dave happy birthday and Ryman and uh, you know the original one of the best stashes of all time out of the game so uh, R.I.P. Bert. You know, in a combination of that and and this football talk, I'm gonna have to watch the longest yard. You know, maybe tomorrow mm-hmm. while I'm working. You know, I'm working from home. Maybe have it up in the background. Um, Definitely not the Adam Sandler version. I mean, that that's an abomination. That never should happen. I was going to say, are you going to go double feature? I mean, there is a good Terry Crews performance in the new one. You know, there's a few. You know, there's always going to be a few guys who rise to the occasion. But, you know, that original Longest Yard, I mean, I think Mean Machine was the name of, like, my first four fantasy football teams before we got into the pun game. I think I was the Mean Machine, like, the first five or five or six seasons. I don't blame you. There was there's actually one thing with Burt Reynolds. I didn't look it up. I probably have to uh consult with uh our expert Troy on this, but I always wondered if any like a uh, porn actress or anyone used the name Squirt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know what? We might have to get him on the phone or, or get an interview with him to splice in there because that is an extremely important question. You know, I just felt like I, I shouldn't look it up at work when I thought of it earlier, but uh, I, I just always thought it was an absolute slam dunk. I mean, you know, the uh, you just go horizontal landing strip. You have the mustache down there, and it's just like the perfect gimmick. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually baffled that no one's come up with that before. That's such a good porn name. Yeah. So no one also is worth a good watch this weekend. Is the uh, uh, a bunch of the Archer episodes, especially the ones with Burt Reynolds in them. Mm. Yeah, that's a good I, watch. I, uh, I I'm gonna have to go back over his uh, his his filmography and see what he uh, what he really went into because I just think of the uh, the classic pose, the stash, longest yard, couple like campy cameo appearances. So do a little bit deeper dive on him. But uh, oh, yeah. All right, so, so Burt. So I got a question for you. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking about the, before we get all the way past the wallets, um, one of my favorite pre-draft moments had to do with uh, Dave's wallet, which total failure on all parts to not get it to him before that. I I would love to sit here and just blame Dennis Powers left and right because the whole, him getting the wallet kind of just deflated the whole experience because you knew that he was going to stick it in the drawer and then, you know, forget about it. Yep. But, the the pure elation on Dave Mariano's face when I got the dollar bill from Dennis to give to Dave to put in the wallet as a memento. And Dennis, you know, he had the stylistic, you know, wherewithal to give it a, you know, a two Dave. He drew a little heart with an arrow through it, signed his name. I mean, I think somehow, either consciously or subconsciously, he knew what this gesture was going to do to a guy who grew up and had his formative years in Dennis's house. Oh yeah, and and Dave calling him out saying this is the only dollar I've ever gotten. I'm gonna laminate it. it. Was just you know absolutely absolutely golden. So Mike actually gave me gave me this one uh, earlier. He left behind a couple of a uh, couple of in it free in and out burgers. I think it was from a bachelor party. Single use only. Uh, it expires 
2020. So I'm going to have to find an in and out in the next year and a month in order to get some free burgers. By the way, the other thing with these wallets is the trifold just destroys money. It just, everything is bent, bent halfway to hell. It's just terrible experience all the way around. But I am glad Dave finally has it back. I just want to know, like, since Dennis, obviously, he never had it whenever we saw him, which was like three times throughout the year. We really should have spun up something different. Like, he had the, the first drink he had, we put X-Lax in it, and he had a draft on X-Lax, like... I mean, it might not have been good for everyone else or the bathroom situation, but at least give the guy an impediment or something. No chair, maybe, because the wallets just were not enough of a detriment for a last-place finish. For You're him, absolutely right. And I think we need, to, we need to come up with some sort of contingency plan for the future. I don't know when. Hopefully, you know, we can keep the wallets and the participating crew here. But, like, if Haas and Powers get it this year, you know, we have to come up with an alternative plan. That's just not going to do. Yeah, so I, it could be it could be wallets plus some kind of draft day handicap where you're you're struggling, no electronics or or something. No, just, no chair. I really like. I think no chair is good. Just go Indian style, or maybe you have to you have to serve beer to everyone at least once. Play a little bit of waiter in between while you're drafting. I'm just trying to think of. Some ways to make it a little bit more of a of a, a terrible experience for you. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, you know, it was a little bit of a letdown for me on draft day this year. How when we had the redraft of all the last place finishers, that everyone just picked their last place team back. Yeah, everyone, that's one of my favorite did. moments where you get to mm-hmm. look across the room and say, "Oh, you that you your team is so bad." A year in and year out, that I need to pick you. I need you to come into my division so I can make my life easier. And we didn't get that one. Yeah, everything everything stayed pat this year. Um, it was a little surprising. I mean, I guess there is a little bit of a little bit of camaraderie between the uh, between the divisions, at least ours. I know our division's pretty pretty tight knit. But along with with no division changing, there were some team movement this year. So if you want to break down the teams that moved, maybe why they moved, how their divorce proceedings went, and who wound up with what and why. You know, that's a good uh, – we're definitely going to have to bring that up. Um, and I can't believe I'm watching the Eagles run the Philly special in game one uh, of the season after running in the Super Bowl right now. But we're going to have to have some of these team members on to give us an insider look on how things are going, you know, a little uh, – you know, interviews, but so the main impetus for the change here was that the Christian Dello and Mike Powers team just did not function. And and I tried to tell Dello a year ago this time when I gave him choice of Troy or Powers as a partner that he was making the wrong decision, and he just wasn't having it. He was like, no, Powers is my boy, you know, We've been friends forever. That makes sense. Like, let's get it done. You know, we're going to make it happen. I'm trading one Mike for another. And then draft day happened, and Mike started treating Dello like a six-year-old, and it was all downhill from there. And it didn't help that Powers then orchestrated arguably the worst trade in league history to get Slatney, Carson Wentz, and a playoff berth. But, uh... There was not a lot of, you know, there just wasn't cohesion. It did not work. Um, 
so I, I took it upon myself. Della's a trooper. He would have never, you know, he's kind of like a, he's like an Asian Irishman. He never would have asked for a divorce. I called a divorce. All right, the commission had been and just divorce courted it, just split it right up. Um, and in order to make that happen, I had to find some other, you know, teams to split and change. And basically from the jump, I wanted Matto to be Power's partner because Matto's an absentee owner and he knows it. And he's, he's way too busy undercover in New York doing God knows what, working the 4-4, drinking, arresting people, you know, writing citations for flimsy crimes and then, you know, blaming it on the system, all these sorts of things. So, And Powers is an overactive owner, so I knew that was going to happen. And then once I had kind of Troy hanging loose, that's when I thought, okay, maybe there's a better partner for Dello um, and somebody he's probably more actively talking to, not that him and Troy aren't close, but then I saw Vanish and I know Zach and Troy are close as well, so that's when I kind of like had the impetus to kind of put that together and everybody was fairly accommodating. They didn't want it. Nobody wanted to disrespect their partner, uh, which, you know, again, I, I have nothing but respect for, but I was very happy to get to inequitable Zach and Troy, Vin and Dello, Powers and O, functional, you know, redistricting. And uh, no gerrymandering. I think we got to a just result. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's to- totally fair. I mean, I do miss the love hate, mostly hate relationship between Vampiro. That was yeah. that was that was always a classic. I mean, Dello turned himself into a, a single white AirPod, so he's uh, continuing his Michael Jackson, Sammy Sosa descent there. And um, well, you know, and speaking about that Vampiro love hate was that I think we would have gotten similar reactions out of them if their partners had been at the draft, but it just so happened that both of their partners were absentee. So it was almost like they both were so unencumbered by having to be upset with their partner and blame their partner for every little thing that, like, they, they almost, like, I know Zach in particular, and we'll get this, we'll get to his team, he was just taking it out on me because he didn't have a partner to complain mm-hmm. about. Yeah, that that's true. I do have a question regarding that though, is how many drafts in a row do you have to miss until you're punted from the league? I mean, I know I know Josk showed up. Uh he he missed I think the last couple. We have uh Maddo. I I don't know if he's uh, thankfully he checked into a group message recently. Just is there is there like a some kind of five in a row and you have to be, you have to try and reinstate for uh for a team? Like what's what's the deal on that front? That's a very good question. And in Maddo's case, at least his alibi checks out that as an NYPD cop, there's just no universe where he gets off on Labor Day. Um, I actually thought Jake was going to miss this year. I thought the whole Labor Day draft was a no-no for him. I didn't realize it was only Monday. Um, But that's a very good point. I think maybe, you know, at like three strikes, maybe you're not out, but like there needs to be a show of faith. Like, we need like a, a video, or uh, you know, maybe like a, maybe you cater the event. Um, I'm not sure, but we need to come up with some sort of like hurdle for you, or hoop for you to jump through after you've missed like three or four or five straight drafts. Because at some point, like, I, I just feel cheated. I feel like you're not getting made fun of. You're not getting. You're not chipping into pizza and beer that you want to complain about, even though it's like a you know totally wonderful thing. You don't have to do anything for. 
I really, I just, I don't like it when people aren't at the draft. So I, after a certain point, I got to draw a line. Yeah, I mean the the that team slot just turns into like a stray Venmo request from half the team, and it's just at least give us give us a little bit of content. I mean, always the honorary name of the show, but. For anyone else, if you miss one, two in a row, there has to be some kind of uh, retribution or something paid. But before we move away from partner breakups, I do want to talk about one more thing about a partner breakup from last year, which would be you and Zello breaking up. And last um, last draft grades pod, there was a bet. I don't know if you remember this bet between you and Zello about who would have a better record. Oh, yeah. It was decided you were the victor, and when are you going to collect? That's a great question, and as you talked about before, you know, a guy who takes his craft seriously, you know, is always watching the game film, and about a week or so ago, I watched, and now this tells you a lot about my pre-draft strategy, is that I don't actually research the players, I just listen to last year's Draft Games podcast, and about halfway through, we get into the bet for 2018, and I couldn't believe it. I totally forgot, Dello owes me, and I think, this is my interpretation, I'll have to put the footage in, but... I think Dello owes me an all-you-can-eat Korean barbecue meal where I get to bring at least one, if not two, other league members. He pays for the whole thing, and he's not allowed to eat. Who, Benedict Arnold over there? I got a wager. I got a wager. I got wager terms. All right. Go. Whichever one of our teams finishes with the most wins, the loser between you and I has to take the other person and two other league members out to a Korean barbecue all-you-can-eat establishment, and the loser has to buy dinner but cannot eat and can only drink water the entire time. (laughs) You know what? Fuck. All right, I like this bet. And then there was also some weird stipulation that, like, he can order a dish that I have to eat uh, like, yeah, even he, if I don't know what it is. Yeah, he was trying to make it so that you would have to you would have to order something that was only in Korean symbols. But it, it was like a it was a false choice because if you know like three Korean dishes, you don't have to know the symbols. You just say, "I want bulgogi, I want kimbap, I want bibimbap," and you're you're good to go and just munch on banchan. What the what the deal was is uh like Dello only is only allowed to drink water while he pays and watches everyone else at the table eat. Exactly, and and the joke is really on him because we're talking about Korean barbecue. We could order like bull shark eyes. And it, once you throw it on that hot sizzling grill and give it a little dunk in some Asian hot sauces, I mean, it's going to taste amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, exactly. There's such big flavors there. I mean, I cooked with the gojujang tonight. Like, oh. stuff is like a fermented red chili paste made a little quicker with some sesame oil, sesame seeds, scallions. Like, you, you put big Asian flavors in something and you can make literally anything taste good. And... Speaking of Koreans, another thing from last year, there was a lot of Young Hoku talk. Zello was very pumped about getting Young Hoku, the South Korean, who was cost the Chargers two games, probably the playoffs, and was promptly cut. I mean, the only South Korean kicker that I care about is Sung Hyung Min, who is obviously Tottenham bound, and uh I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but he was actually playing last week. Not to get off on the the real football side of things. He actually had to play a junior tournament of of football 
to avoid military service. What? Can you, can you imagine the most... So in South Korea, it's a mandatory military service country, as a few others are around the world. And you need to basically, like, place in the Olympics, the World Cup, or win, like, the uh, under-23s or something, the Asia Games. So they were basically... He, this was his last chance, and he had to play to not go into the military for two years in his prime. Crazy motivation. Wow. Yeah, I, I have nothing to respect for that. You know, I, mean, I remember Hop telling me when he first went to the military, he was trying to get on the softball team so that he wouldn't have to go actually do stuff. Mm-hmm. He could just be on the touring uh, Army softball All-American team. Yeah. Which, you know, I've seen that kid play baseball. He doesn't have the chops to be on the All-Army <laughs> softball team. I know, I know that. I mean, there's no way that the Army softball scorekeeper allows you to go over and manipulate the book the way he would go over and manipulate Kate Foley and Melissa is it Melissa Barnshaw? What's her name? Yeah, it was I think it was Kate Foley, Missy Barnshaw. Missy Barnshaw, that's it. And now Hops would go over there and turn an E five and do a hit just by bullying the stack girl. There's no way that plays in the army. So you have to knock at least eighty five points off Hops's batting average uh for that. And there's no way he's making the team. I saw a big push. I think it was from Brian Kenny, who wants to eliminate errors altogether because it takes some semblance of skill to put the ball in play, and you shouldn't be penalized for the fielder fucking up on that point. But I mean, we're 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 going off into into soccer. We're going off into baseball. Let's uh, let's come back. Let's uh, let's thank the hosts of the draft once again. It was the uh, the Bednarskis. They uh, we moved into their uh, down their uh, downstairs sports bar this year, which uh, holds everyone pretty nicely. Not gonna lie. Yeah, and I, and I was a little concerned. I thought that the bar area and the couch area were gonna be a little more uh, separated than I remembered, and that I thought because I, I had the plan to go to the open auction. And I thought maybe we were going to be a little too disjointed. And aside from Ryman getting stuck kind of in the bar corner um, and then, you know, basically being separated from the Ryans who were, like, all the way in the couch corner, I mean, it was so easy. I thought it had great flow. I didn't get the – usually I get vertigo from spinning in a circle and trying to see everyone over and over and over again. Um, That didn't happen. Um, I really, I mean, the venue was flawless. The, I mean, the draft beer, the two separate draft keg taps was just a revelation. Um, and and then how about the uh, the TV where we had live draft feed going on? I mean, I know I had to go over there and change the login every five minutes, but, I mean, that was, that was a game changer. Yeah, that was absolutely incredible. I mean, since me and Dave were on the other corner of the room, I think, starting to make me realize I might need glasses and this 2020 situation I've been dealing with my whole life's been going down because I could, it was a little bit fuzzy across the room, but we had sports on our TV, which was very nice. I mean, the only thing we couldn't see in our corner was uh, people sitting on the couch. So I wasn't able to see if Kyle Brees took his um, annual dirt nap. Can you uh, fill me in on that? Oh, Oh, he took a dirt nap. And when we get to his team, I can give you a, a little more in on his insight, but uh, he did. He he got so drunk, um, and you know, drunk for Kyle. Only Reed. him. 
Was was he the only one, or was uh, that I can remember? Someone else. I'll tell you what, I don't remember anyone else being that drunk. But maybe you know, from for all I know, there may have been another person. Um, <laughs> but uh, and part of that had to do with Kyle brought his annual uh, whiskey infinity bottle to the draft, mm-hmm. and every single time I wandered into that corner, I had a little sip, and. It, you know, it, I, it was a little sip, but after like you know ten or twelve or fifteen little sips, you get very largely drunk. Um, <laughs> so Kyle took a nap again, and then uh, other than that, it was. I, I wish I could tell you that was out of the ordinary, but that's what Kyle does. He takes a nap in the draft, and Chromie drafts a world class roster, and uh, you know the world keeps spinning. That's kind of what we're used to. Yeah, and you took you took the uh, the rest of it home, sipping on it tonight, are you? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He was so drunk that at the end of the draft, he told me he insisted that I take the championship whiskey blend home. Uh, and there was about two two glasses left, and I had those during the first half of the Eagles game, and they got me through what was you know otherwise snooze fest. Um, but I was I was shocked. You, I mean, Kyle is an exceptionally generous. Post. Uh, if you've ever been to uh, the Brees Manor, I mean, his whiskey collection is astounding. We had an entire podcast about it two years ago. And he'll let you try anything, and he'll pour you glasses, he'll pour you blind tastings. Um, I mean, it's really, I mean, people should book B&Bs at his house. You should go there and stay there and, and sip of the collection. Uh, but even for him to just send me home with three to four ounces of this uh, blend was Staggering! I couldn't believe it. I, I I couldn't agree more. Is the most the most gracious host, knowledgeable, will let you try it. Any bourbon you ever had your mind on? I was actually the only one dumb enough to not, I guess, read all of the emails, and I brought a six pack thinking we were doing a beer draft, which yeah. I know Eric has taps, but I I just saw I, I remember seeing Dad nineties. Beer draft. I was like, yeah, all right, six pack, fine. But uh, yep. showed up and uh, I was the only one, so at least I had prime fridge space. Yeah, there was an audible, and the audible to the Bednarskis, I audible the beer draft. Um, it's not hard to see how that could have slipped by unnoticed. Um, but speaking of Brees and, and the whiskey and all that, um, I am actually just sipping from. I bought four of those little whiskey uh, fifths. I was going to ask. And I kept the fourth one at home, and I'm drinking that right now. I've got number 12. I think I auctioned off numbers 3, 4, and 10. I'm curious what you thought of that experiment, because I was very, very concerned that the league was not going to adapt well to open auction. So I thought it was a good intro to open auction, but it kind of it just, it just came out of nowhere. So I understand it's a sound business strategy. What did you make like? One percent return on investment. <laughs> yeah, I, I made three dollars. I made a dollar a bottle, which you know, I, I, I'd safe to say I reinvested in pizza. Speaking of pizza, how was the uh, how was the ordering process this year? A little bit easier than uh, than the Pizza Hut gift card <laughs> scenario from yeah. from last year. Yes, it was uh, actually our gracious host took care of the whole thing. I mean, I at one point at like 11 o'clock when I was rip-roaring drunk, I, I look over, and speaking of, I mean, this was like 90 minutes into the draft, and I look over to our host, and I'm like, hey, uh, should we get that pizza order going? I know you have a spot in mind. He goes, oh, I already took care of it. He'll be here at 12. 
And I'm like, excuse me? He goes, yeah, I ordered, yeah. Uh, you know, 12 pies or, you know, whatever, and it'll be here, uh, you know, in an hour. It's all taken care of. I paid, I'll pay for it. You pay me back. And I was like, what? Unbelievable. What? What? What a show. I mean, I, I, I was absolutely floored. I thought we were going to have to negotiate toppings with half the room, and then somebody was going to want wings, and, you know, it was such a dream to have the whole thing taken care of. Yeah, it worked out really nicely. So going into you were talking about the open auction. So I didn't even realize, but when I was when I was going over the game tape, I had mentioned last year that we should go on cards on a stick, and you actually got the arts and crafts out and actually put it together. Everyone just holds up a card or like on a stick and just like, yes, I will bid on this man. Yeah, you know. I- as I was putting them together, I went to Michael's. I spent like $40 because as you, Michael's as you is would. cheap. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found like all the right things, and this little old lady helped me figure out what I wanted to do, which was so nice because I was kind of, she could tell I was waffling. I was looking at like, I was in the sticker section, and she looked at me and is like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, uh, uh, and she's like, let me help you out. What are you doing? And she like literally walked me through and bought all my stuff. She did not work at the store. She was shopping for her own crafts project. And she like took me by the arm through the aisles and helped me find the, you know, popsicle sticks, the toppers, the paint marker, all of the above. Um, and so when I put those together, I was like, this is a good idea. And then as I walked into the draft, I was like, this is the stupidest idea I've ever had. Like, why did I feel the need to do this? But then I'll tell you what, during the draft, the, like the seven or eight teams that actually used it, it was helpful. And, and actually, I just like the aesthetic. I like people holding up the bid cards. It, that meant everything to me. The, the aesthetic was nice. The only thing I did miss was mine and Dave's classic ass card. <laughs> yeah, you make it sound like there's one of them. There's like 28 pass cards, and now after 15 years of draft, you and Dave have made 15 ass cards. <laughs> well, we're on the tub, uh, subject of asses. I did want to say, uh, we sat next to Kling this year. So it was the first time I uh, got to get into to Kling strategy, how he thinks. And I've never heard someone use the word buns in such a derogatory manner. We were We were talking about... <laughs> We were talking about some soccer team or something like that, or later on we were talking about a player, I think it was Corey Davis, and instead of saying this guy sucks, this guy stinks, this guy is ass, even I've heard booty cheeks, it was just, this guy is a buns. (laughs) (laughs) I was was taken aback because I've always had such positive connotations with buns, like I'm thinking a nice nice, uh, Martin's potato roll, which, by the way, if you're ever having a barbecue or anything like that and you're having burgers and dogs, just get the Martin's potato rolls. The extra 40 cents makes all the difference. They're clearly the best. Well, and there's also, you know, the uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot. I don't want none if you ain't got bums, huh? So Exactly. So you know, he, Generally, it's a positive. Exactly, but he flipped it on his head and says it with, it's dripping with such disdain that it's just like buns. Like, I've never heard it with, like, two Zs and make you feel like you want to just, like, throw out buns for the rest of your life. To be honest, I think I'm going to adopt it. (laughs) You know, I mean, maybe it's a military thing. You know, maybe it's code for some, like, really just gross and horrific uh, acronym that us, you know, civilians don't understand, and he's got, like, this little inside joke. Or maybe it's just pure sophomore humor at its finest. 
Either way, I'm for it. I give it an applause. And with that, I think we should. Uh, I think we should just get to the grades here. I think so. I, I honestly, I'm looking at my notes, and I don't think there's anything else. Um, so you know what? The only other thing I can think of uh, from the pre-draft was I was really happy with how well naming the divisions after strip clubs went over. That got solid laughs throughout the room. What were the what were the final the final names? I know Delilah's Den uh, let it off as it should, and I yeah. just wanted if you could just do a quick rundown. So Tyler and Kyle picked Delilah's, which the whole room gave like the like solemn nod of approval to. Like everybody was like, "Oh yeah, Delilah's," like you know, good choice. And then Jake and Connor, Jake immediately chose Rick's Cabaret. Um, which, like, I would say about a third of the room thought was utterly hysterical, and the other third of the room never heard of. And then Matt and Brandon went what is, classic. Wait, what did the last third of the room do? <laughs> uh, I don't know. The last third of the room, I think they were pretending to know what that was, and they were, like, nodding along, but they didn't actually understand what was going on. Um, so then Matt and Brandon went extremely pop culture King of Diamonds, which is just a really nice touch. And then Ryman left it with a hyper-local Stevie P's <laughs> from Ewing, New Jersey, that I, I think about half yeah. the room took out their phone, Googled it, and then hit, like, the little star on the Google Maps to save for later uh, to go and try that one out. So what he really saved it with was the punchline of in Ewing, New Jersey. That is <laughs> That is just that. Did you give him a heads up that it was coming? Because that was that nice, that nice tag to the... Of the line that really just set off the room. No, he just as soon as I, I mentioned it. I mean, he had the the opportunity and the foresight to not foresight, but the luck to go last. Um, but yeah, he he had that one just sitting there. That one's clearly you know holds a special place in his heart. Maybe that was his go to place when he was seventeen. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, the only other one I will say is Dave was calling out, hoping that someone would uh, throw out Magic City, but. Uh, can't I can't I can't hate on any of the any of the choices. It was a it was a solid naming process that seemed to uh, catch everyone a little off guard. But at the same time, it was a great way to uh, to kick off the draft before the as you mentioned earlier the uh, last place team shuffle. Which you know everyone stayed pat, so we're running it back with the divisions for one more year. Yeah. So you know as we get into the teams here and we break down what happened at this draft. I think it's only fitting, you know, we, we usually use Mike Powers' draft sheet to uh, to break these mm-hmm. down, and so his, since his team is in the upper left-hand A1 slot, and I think it might be the most interesting roster because I don't know if I've ever seen this before, but they went home with $8. Yeah, so eight. they went home with $8. I will give Mike Powers, I mean, he was drafting solo. He had, he had a great sheet, and he was able to keep up and maintain the entire draft, so... We're going off the official CPA sheet of Mike Powers, drafting solo and maintaining a sheet. So that's props right. to him on that front. And uh, $8 left over is wild. Like, there were a lot of great values this year. Almost all of the quarterbacks went cheap, which depressed everyone's total budget. But going home with $8 is some real efficient spending. Yeah, I mean, there are, like, like, you know, I know on my team, we signed Peyton Barber for $8. Like, Marshawn, like, there were, like, borderline starting players who went for $8. And Powers just didn't see fit to spend that money. He just, I, maybe he's trying to show off. 
Yeah, I mean, I and and at the same time, I think he still took the second most expensive quarterback with Cam Newton at ten. I mean, Cam Newton always finishes around top five. He has a couple more weapons this year. But like I said, I think he's the only other quarterback outside Aaron Rodgers that went for double digits. Unless uh, I think I think Brady might have as well. But other than that, I mean. Derrick Henry, yeah, he's in a timeshare. Mike Evans, like a low-end wide receiver one. Lamar Miller will get volume until he pulls his hamstring. Sexy I mean, he, Rexy Burkhead. Not Reaper only he had, Derrick Henry is one of my favorite players in the league. And, you know, if, if he could only catch passes, I think he, you know, I, I he would have been A1 on my target list. But he had the other two players coming into the draft that the entire car ride to the draft I told Ryman I wanted were Mark Ingram, because I love a guy on a suspension, because the classic undervalue, I'll always take the upside when they come back. And Keelan Cole, the Jaguars kid, they have, like, the easiest receiver schedule in the league. He's the number one because Marquise Lee went down. I mean, I, I absolutely love that guy. I think $7 is probably a little more than you'd want to spend. I mean, clearly everyone's reading the same sleeper articles, but... I fucking love those two guys, and with a solid starting lineup, I mean, I think this is one of the better rosters going, personally. I agree. I mean, I think it lacks superstars, but at the same time, he has depth, which will carry you through a season. Keelan Cole, I was in on him until six bucks. Like, I I really like his profile. I like his, like I said, his athletic profile. And Ingram is going to come back fresh and healthy as soon as um, Lamar Miller hits the uh, hits the IR and injury report. Sexy Rexy Burkhead is another guy that I really wanted this year. I think everyone is always scared of the Patriots' backfield and Bill Belichick, but the fact of the matter is, if you look over the last five years, the Patriots' backfield scores in the top three in touchdowns every year. Like, just take a couple swings at the backfield, and they love Rex Burkhead. And then when it comes to Tyler Lockett, they just paid him $30 million and traded away Jimmy Graham and Paul Richardson, he's stepping into a number two role. Baldwin, he says he's going to be 85-90%. I mean, he's on my team, so I hope he's that or more. But this is a solid squad with a lot of potential. So, great, I'm going to have to give it is, I'm intrigued, I'm going to have to give it a... Hmm. Oh, okay, well, you know what, I'll allow you to be the... Uh... The uh, color commentary guy, I'll keep it straight. I'm going to give it, and I, now I'm gonna, I think I'm going to go numeric. I'm going to go one bite, everybody knows the rules. One pick, everybody knows the rules. Because i, I got to save the letter grades for uh, the, the first write-up, which I think could come tomorrow, the same day this is dropped. Um, which, you know, is graded on a curve, A plus to F minus. Um, I think for this, I'm going to keep it. I, I I I am influenced by the eight dollars. I think just like if that if you told me they spent a hundred dollars, I would give them a better grade. But knowing they didn't, I just feel like I have to demerit them. I'm going to give this roster an eight point one, which I think is a it's a good score. It's not a terrific score, um, and I'm trying to leave myself some room to go up in case I need to slot like seven or eight teams ahead of them. Yeah, because the only thing you can really say is an eight. There were some very good eight dollar players. Like just looking across the next two teams, Emmanuel Sanders, Michael Crabtree, like Marshawn Lynch, like legit people. Yeah, yeah, legit people. He would put on his team over Richie Seals Jones or Isaiah Crowell. I mean, you that eight dollars should be on this bench and possibly in this starting lineup. 
You know what looks a lot better in hindsight, which looked really bad at the time, in my opinion, was the $3 on the Jacksonville Jaguars defense, mm. which only looks so good because everybody else just started spending like 250 and $2 on defenses, which, I mean, we probably obliterated the record for the most amount of money spent on defenses this year. I, I agree, but I will say I saw one uh, I saw one stat going in about defenses that was the consensus top five defenses going into the draft for the last five years. None of them have finished in the top five, and a couple of them have finished last place overall. So Ooh. thinking you're drafting an elite defense that is like consensus top five, so Rams, Jaguars you know, Chargers, like, yes, I would prefer to have those guys as well, but it just has not panned out over the last half decade. No, that's an interesting. Do you think that's because when you make the name for yourself as a top-five scoring defense, teams approach you differently the following year? Like, they call a lot more three-step drops, they're a lot more passive, like, and then it, it just so happens to result in a lower-scoring fantasy defense, or it's just a fickle thing altogether? I think it's fickle because defensive scoring at the end of the day really comes down to touchdowns, and touchdowns are not a sticky stat. Like, they're not something yeah. that you can count on year over year. If you're going to get a punt return, uh, you're going to go against Matt Schaub twice a year, and he's going to throw pick sixes every game. Like, it's just not a sticky stat, as surprisingly to me, at least until recently, sacks aren't that consistent year over year either. You want to look at pressures. Pressures are what lead to sacks. You can't just count on sacks to happen again year over year. You're going against people that are just throwing screens all the time. So it was it was something that was that was eye opening to me. So at least our squad we kind of took an approach where we wanted a good defense with a good week one matchup. And I love Jacksonville going against Eli's dumb face week one. So I, I can't hate the pick, especially when you have that much left over. So I got a wager for you. Let's bet. I got two fingers of whiskey the next time you and I are in a bar together. I'm going to pick a number, and you can call the over-under. Um, how many text messages? You know what? Let's do it this way. I'm going to the, 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 put the parameter. You pick the number. I'll call the over-under. How many text messages did Mike Powers and Matt Onderjack exchange during this draft? And my insinuation is that Matt Onderjack had literally zero input. So you're saying between on draft day or on during draft the draft day during the draft? Between, you know what? I will give you between. So report time was 9 a.m. From 9 a.m. until Powers' final bid, how many messages did the two of them exchange? And I uh, two way. So if Matto sends a response, that's two. So I. Part of me thinks it's it's zero. So like no matter what I say, I think it's under. So you, I mean, you could set the line at half. Because I'm gonna ask. Sometime I'm gonna follow up. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to Powers or Matto, ask for a request a screenshot, and we'll see uh, what comes back. I mean, I just think he was so locked in. Maybe Matto sent a like. Is Des Bryant still on the Cowboys? Can you please draft him for me, text? Like, I don't... I'll, I'll go with two. Oof. Two. So, did Powers send one message? And did Matto... Okay, so, I have to go under because there's a decent chance... You know what? No, no, no. I'm going to go surprise over. But I, I'm going to go over 
and I'm going to double down and make the bet two fingers and say, Mike Powers cleared the over by himself and Maddo never responded. Oh, wow. All right. I like that. I'll take it. So with that, and I think we may have to make the same bet with the next team, because we oh move on God. from here to Russ and Eric's team, and, you know, Eric can be a little bit of a wild card on his own. You know, I mean, he's a guy A little, who, a little bit? See, I think Eric's the kind of guy who likes to have a partner so that he doesn't necessarily have to engage fully, so that he doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting, and he can kind of bounce in, make some jokes, talk some shit, make sure you get two Jaguars and go home. But when he's by himself, you know, it's a whole different ballgame. It was an absolute virtuoso, I think it was a shampoo drunk performance. I mean, him <laughs> and a couple other guys at the draft went to a wedding the night before and then just picked back up right where they left off. And his his draft just showed it. It was an absolute wild performance, making bids, taking picks while wrestling the dog, walking up and down, talking shit to everyone. It was it was a it was a wild performance from the corner. Yeah, and he was one of the few guys. I mean, I'm not really sure how he did it. I, I really respect the draft strategy that he doesn't have a single twenty dollar player on the roster, and nope. just eyeballing the rest of the group here. I think he's the only one. Is he? Is that, is that right? Yeah, he's he's the only guy without a twenty dollar player. He might be the only guy without a twenty five dollar player. If no, okay, so uh, my team doesn't have one actually. So, okay, so the $20 players seem to be the limit, which I really like that strategy. I preach it every year, and not to disparage my current or former partners, but they just never seem to go for it. And I really like how he took a shot on a rehabbing Andrew Luck. I thought that was a genius pick. I mean, when, when else can you pay bottom-of-the-barrel price for a guy who could conceivably be, you know, top three at his position um, who's a veteran? Um, and, he he did that with his other quarterback. He got Drew Brees for 550, who's a way better bet to finish in the top five. I mean, how he managed to get both of those guys for less money than I spent on Tom Brady when I already had cards. You know what? We're going to get to that in a minute. So I, I really like – I think he took a smart risk on Jay Ajayi, who's making him look like an absolute moron during this game. But, you know, he's a number one running back on a good offense at a number two running back price. Um, everybody loves the juice. Everybody loves Brandon Cooks. I thought keeping Mo Sanu was uh, highly questionable with Dan Levitard, but other than so that... It was, so Mo Sanu was... I, I checked the... Uh, in preparation for the draft, I just checked the teams today to see if anyone violated, like, uh, Photoshop, team name, or was just making dumb decisions in their lineup. And he had Mo Sanu in his starting lineup, who's playing right now, until about at least 5 p.m. when I checked, and I was, like you were saying, I have no idea why they even kept him. Like, he's clearly the number two, maybe the number three. They have Calvin Ridley there now, who I actually don't think is going to be very good. But for the rest of his team, I love Emmanuel Sanders. So Case Keenum loved throwing the ball to Adam Thielen last year out of the slot. Emmanuel Sanders is playing out of the slot. So he's going with him, and he's got Royce Freeman, heavy on the Broncos, Cooks is going to be a boomer bust guy who I really would like in best ball. Jarvis Landry is going to get volume. Ajaye, I think he scored a touchdown tonight. He, he did, yeah. I'm disparaging him, but he did score a touchdown. 
Yeah, like that that offensive line, as long as he gets volume, if you get him 15 to 18 touches per game, he's going to produce. So he has, he surprisingly has a deep team. And there were two people that really just drove me, me and Dave personally insane at the draft. Eric was numero uno on that front where every time I would call out a dollar amount on a, on a player, he would automatically throw the 50 cent on top of the bid. And yeah. this was, yeah. So in the past, ever since Aries Beach House draft, where Dave and I wrote our strategy out on a pizza box sitting next to Russ, this team, either Russ or Eric, will always co-opt our picks and just jack them up 50 cents to a dollar and bid us up until either they get them or they price them out of our range. And it's, and it's infuriating. <laughs> Yeah, and they have you know, and it's surprising. You you expect that out of Russ because that's been his mo since we were eleven. But Eric is sneaky about it, and the difference is is that he's unapologetic about it. He will just look at you and start laughing like you know more than I do, so you're bidding on bidding. Mm-hmm. And the the one pick I was so happy with was them getting Justin Tucker for two bucks because for the last two years they've completely sniped us on Godkowski. And finally, after he would just finish, like, middling, like, seventh, eighth for the last couple of years, they finally let him go. So my draft grade for this team would have to be, what? I'm going to give this team, I'm going to knock them a point again aesthetically. Uh, I'm going to give this team, I think that they are a very strong pick-to-click to beat their draft grade. I'm going to give them, like, a... Like a 7.4, and it wouldn't surprise me, wow. I think, if, if after I draft all the teams, and I'm making these up on the fly. I did not come up with these beforehand. I don't do that kind of preparation. I wouldn't be surprised if when we look back on this at the end of all the gra- grades that I pick them as the team most likely to beat their draft grade by a full point. Wow. And now the reason I had to take some points off, and I'd say I probably took three points off, is because... Why in God's name are you drafting Jake Butt if you're not going to incorporate that into your team name? All right, so take three points off. If if you added three points, that would put them over at ten. No, no, no. I'm sorry, three tenths of a point. Ah, okay, okay, fair. So enough. Like, but I totally agree. I was very worried about their Photoshop without the Teenage Mutant Ninja Bortles and their team name, but they pulled it off. The Photoshop's actually pretty good. I'm not even sure if Dave had a hand in it or not. Yeah, we'll have to, you know, we'll definitely have Dave on for the, uh, you know, run-through of who asked for one, who we made, what were rejected team names. But, like, like, you don't even have to be an intelligent human to draft Jake Butt and then name your team Jake Likes It in the Butt and then, like, win the team name of the year. Yeah, That's free. I mean, he gives you exactly. It's it's Roy's free man. I mean, it gives them so much. It gives them so much material to work with. So, let's move on to uh, to your squad. I have. I definitely have some thoughts about it. I definitely have some thoughts about your partner's behavior during the draft. But my first question to you is: Leaving the draft, did you or did you not know half the players on your team? If they were, who was on your team? Okay, so I think, and I, I'm going to try and pull up the live sheet right now so that I can try to peg it for you. After Peyton Barber, which was our fourth pick, I don't remember drafting 
any of those players. Marshawn Lynch, Kenyon Drake, Deion Lewis, Carlos Hyde, Jack Doyle, the Patriots defense, Vinatieri, John Ross, Martavis Bryant. That's not true. I definitely pointed to Martavis Bryant and said, let's pick him. Because Ryan and I were the only two guys in the room who didn't know that he had gotten cut that morning. You guys do it every year. Every year you draft a person who got cut from a team. Last year, did you know you drafted two quarterbacks that didn't play the whole season? You drafted the Brockett ship and Andrew Luck? Don't ask me if I remember whether or not we drafted the Brockett ship. Because I very, very succinctly and clearly remember drafting the Brockett ship. You drafted Um, two quarterbacks. Neither of them played the whole season. (laughs) And we made the playoffs. Thank you very much. Amazing. And so, somehow you guys back-assed your way into a team with decent depth with... Ryman's unbelievable strategy of quarterbacks and tight ends only, yet you managed to get some depth at running back. I mean, do you guys discuss this beforehand, or how did this come about? Okay, so I think, and I I say this every year in some fashion, but being my partner is a really, really bad job because – I have a never-unplugged, never-turned-off voice box. And one of my favorite jokes, one of my favorite shticks, is to blame my partner for everything and take credit for everything that goes well. But at the and same then, time, on top of that, time. on top of that, Ryman repeatedly asked me for direction. What do you think about this? What do you want to do? And at every single turn, almost without a doubt, I said, and this is pre-draft, Whatever you want to do. Whatever you think. Whatever you think. I like this, that, or the other, but whatever you think. And then as soon as the draft started, I started just micromanaging the shit out of him from afar. So it's not an easy job, especially since this podcast might be the only time that I give a actual, honest, objective, behind-the-scenes look at this, because as soon as you put me behind a keyboard and I start typing, I'm going to slander him to death. <laughs> And there's just no – because and, – and in the draft, his idea did it not make sense. His thought was, let's go get elite quarterbacks, and then we tried to get a second elite tight end and then just make a deal. And I think he, he's a little jaded from last year because we swindled Powers, who's one of the more active and intelligent owners in the league – so he must, like, he's, he clearly thinks we can just kind of do that whenever we want. And, and now maybe that's true. But I'm of the opinion of, like, I may win the whole thing or finish in last place kind of guy. So I look at it like, if we have Carson Wentz, I don't want to spend another $3 on quarterbacks because the only way we're going to win the title is if Carson Wentz is Carson Wentz again and we also happen to strike gold everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, now that Carson Wentz might be out like maybe a month, it's it's looking more prudent to go for Brady. But looking at the two positions that they're only one of on the squad with going for quarterbacks and tight ends, I mean, I know Ryman did it to Dave and I multiple times. So this was the other person who really uh, was vexing my chaps over here going for the tight ends. Me and me and Dave, like look, going into the draft, we thought there were three elite tight ends, and it was Gronk. Kelsey and Ertz was a clear number three, and that's showing tonight. But you guys went over 20 on Kelsey, and then you were still in on Ertz, plus 15. I, I was just baffled by the uh, by the strategy. 
Yeah, you know, and it was a, and I do like this about Ryman is that it was on the fly. We didn't talk about that going into the draft. We he did pre-draft talk about wanting to get a better quarterback than I did, and that was just kind of like a difference in philosophy. But the whole like let's just mob tight ends thing, I think he was just vibing it, and I didn't want to get in his way. Now I am also an extremely passive aggressive partner, where as the commissioner, if I don't want Ryman to bid, I just won't look at him. <laughs> so. You know, you can't get your bid in if I'm not looking at you because I never call your number. So then he got, as he got drunker, he got wise to that and started screaming his bids from across the room. And then that's where I have to assume some of these players got drafted. Not that I don't like them. I'm a huge Carlos Hyde guy. I think his head is about the consistency of an overripe melon. I love Deion Lewis. He's up there with Chris Thompson and Duke Johnson as those third down pass-catching scatbacks who everyone undervalues, and then, you know, the Danny Woodhead somehow finishes top ten in the league in points. Um, the only place where I think Ryman, and I have to give him credit for this because I was so drunk and not paying attention by the latter half of the draft that I was completely useless, is that our receiving core is literally non-existent. It's, it's Golden terrible. Tate. It's truly no terrible. One. I think... I think you've had Golden. I think you had Golden Tate last year as well, and then John Ross for a buck fifty, who they were thinking about converting to cornerback after seeing him play last year. I mean, he had a few big plays in the preseason, but your receiving core—it was those two plus Martavis, who is back smoking smoking buds again. We've already cut him. Not on a team. Exactly. Like you had. And you know, hold on. You know, we cut him and picked up a running back, right? Uh, of, of course you did, because why wouldn't you? You're just going to play Golden Tate every single week, even on his bye week. And you've got, you've got second-tier running backs galore. Like, for as much as you say you love Derrick Henry, like, Deion Lewis is going to split time with him. Jack Doyle is a productive tight end. Even though Carlos Hyde can't really catch the ball, as I know from him being on the 49ers, he's going to get a lot of work and clearly beat out Nick Chubb for uh, the number one role in Cleveland. I mean, you have depth, you're going to have a little bit of frustrations, but you look like you have enough running back depth to make it through the season and maybe squeak out a playoff berth. So if I'm going to give a grade for it, I'm going to, I'm going to give this one a, uh, wait, what? Yeah, well, that was my reaction after the draft, when I think it was Mike Powers who asked me during the draft if I realized how bad my team was. And he was openly chastising me for the job that Ryman and I were doing while I was trying to run the draft. And, you know, like, as usual, I have no control over my roster and no idea what's going on. And he's just crushing me. And so, you know, trying to be funny, I'm crushing Ryman, and who can hear me from across the room? And he's now yelling at me. And I think this roster accurately reflects that. You know, I mean, this is a roster of just a disjointed vision for what it takes to make the playoffs. And I think... As I said to him, you know what? If there's two guys in the league who can drag this roster to the playoffs, it's us. So you know, the, the, the average men cannot do that. But Sean and I are not average, not average men. You know, this is a task we're suited to. So I think what best describes this, uh, this draft was after the draft, actually. We were outside, and we, were, uh, we had a scythe going. We looked over to, uh, I don't know if it was Ryman's car or whose car it was that you guys were driving home in, but the passenger side door was open, one leg was out, and the windshield wipers, for some reason, were on, 
and then you stepped out and then joined the site, and I think that pretty much sums up the, the draft you guys had. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's not a lot that I remember from – Not, I don't want to say that I remember. I remember it all very clearly. I did not have uh, terrific body control in the second half of the draft. Um, I was exceedingly drunk. I took at least 20 minutes of commissioning off to allow Dave to take over because I was just pooped. I, there's no other word for it. I was pooped. And uh, I don't know what to do. I might blame it on my two-month-old son and just say, you know, like take the cop out and say, hey, fatherhood, it's exhausting. But that's not true. That's not, you know, I'm just, I'm just looking for scapegoats. I want to blame anyone but myself. So, you know what, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop stalling. I'm going to give this team a draft day grade of 7.6. Okay, okay. And I will will. say, I was pleasantly, sorry, I was, I was pleasantly surprised when I looked at our, our league power rankings, which on like uh, fantasy pros, which I decided to spend my $20 of, I buy a fantasy magazine at the airport money on this year instead of a magazine. And they had us as the seventh-ranked power-ranked team after half day, which I thought was oh. five slots higher than I was expecting. I'm hoping to see those uh, those rankings in the write-up this week. And, yeah, like you said, if if you're going to blame your kid, dude, you've got to blame it in the first two years when it, he's not going to remember anything. Like, get as much blame as you can on that thing. <laughs> yeah, that's uh. You know, that's where I'm headed right now. So we'll see how it turns out. Um, so speaking of fatherhood, uh, we have the uh, the team of dads, uh, Haas and Powers, and as it says in the sheet, dad and Mr. Haas. Um, and, you know, the, the, the power ranking website thinks this is the second best team in the league. Uh, well, and, and I don't love Alex Smith. I am a... I'm kind of a quarterback elitist. I always say I'm going to go into the draft and, and take an Alex Smith-type guy, and then as soon as Rodgers goes, my bid card is just fizzling. Uh, but aside from him, there's a lot to like on this team, especially in the starting lineup. Maybe not on the bench, but absolutely in the starting lineup. So I actually disagree. I think this is an average team at best. Like I'm fine with Alex Smith. Shockingly, he became... He was the best deep ball passer in the league last year after I got to watch him checking down the tight ends and running backs for like six years. He was hitting Tyreek Hill deep, Travis Kelsey deep. Like He was really pushing it downfield. He doesn't have those same caliber of weapons in Washington. And at least they have they have Rivers to go with him, who I think is a superior superior player, but they kept him for a buck, so that's why he's up in the top slot there. Kareem Hunt got off to a hot start. He is definitely a top 10 running back. Can't be upset about that. DeAndre Hopkins with Deshaun Watson back is definitely a top five wide receiver. And that's where all their money went. I mean, Sammy Watkins is going to be boomer bust. He seems more of a best ball receiver than someone you want to actually decide if you want in your lineup. Tyler Eifert, notoriously injured. Crabtree moving over to Joe Flacco. Carrion Johnson is in a crowded backfield. The rest is Matt. James White, you're hoping he catches some balls. And then they have your guy, the Duke, who is actually the 69th pick overall, so he gets credit for that. How does it feel? I think this is back-to-back years they took the Duke from you. How is that feeling? 
Uh, you know, I don't think I properly made it clear to Ryman how much I love the Duke. I think he, you know, just thought the Duke was an average guy that I enjoyed saying his name uh, occasionally, and that's mostly true. But I think the bond with the Duke goes deeper than that. And, and, and since he's the man with the bid card, I think I kind of depend on him to to recognize it live and in living color, and that didn't happen. Um, but I, what I like about a team like this is – I'm very much of the strategy that you identify, if you're going to go big, now, I always want to spread the love, but if you're going to go all in, you identify two guys you think are just can't miss, and you just ride them into the ground. And if those guys show up and they're top five players in the position, your team's going to the playoffs. And if those guys are duds, you're going bottom five in the league. And on draft day, you're okay with that. And I like the two guys they picked to make that bet with. So, I actually think those guys are not top tier. They're right in that second tier, and there's a lot of question marks and annoying weekly decisions are going to have to deal with um, every week after that. So, uh, what's your grade for these guys? I'm going to go, I'm not going to put them above Mike Powers. I, I'm going to swap them below that. I'm going to put them... I think I'm going to put them right... Would I want to trade rosters at this team? Oof. Um, you know what? I'm going to put them just below me. I'm going to give them a seven and a half. Seven and a half. I feel like that's high. Someone of a rookie score being in between zeros and fives. I'm going to give it a meh. Just a meh. Just a meh. Yeah. Just, just a little meh. Just whatever. They're going to be in the 80s most weeks. Like, they're never – if they get a high week, I'll be surprised. It'll be touchdown luck, and Sammy Watkins has his one of three big weeks. I just I just don't see the upside here. Oh, see, I, I don't know. I like – I think that if if Kareem and DeAndre, DeAndre are top seven at their respective positions, that – Duke, Sammy, Crabtree, Carrion are probably solid on spectacular. That maybe Sammy is boomer bust, but in the weeks that he booms, you probably win your matchup. And Alex Smith, presumably moving into the uh, Gruden offense over there, let's say, I mean, we may find out that, you know, Kirk the Jerks has been a little bit of a system quarterback, and then when you plug Alex Smith in, he kind of picks up that offense and that he was missing in the horizontal passing attack out in Kansas City. And, I mean, I think there's a chance here that this is a, maybe instead of an 80-point team, it's a 90-point team, and it wins nine games just by being solid, 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 solid with a little bit of schedule luck. Yeah, I mean, I just see Jarvis Landry running all of Duke Johnson's routes so I feel like he's going to vacuum up all the volume that everyone is expecting to go to Duke Johnson. So they'll probably play Phillip Rivers more than they'll play Alex Smith. Either way, I, th- I think the team is exceedingly average, and we'll go next to Matt and Brandon, who are relying on a team that has not been exceedingly average. They are relying on a team who has been, without a doubt, the worst te- two-year team in the history of the NFL Last year, you and Ryman were the Brown squad. This year, it's Matt and Brandon. What do you think of them? Oof. 
I am not really all that interested in this team, and I, and I think I, I'm not a Joe Mixon guy, first of all. Um, not that I don't think the guy can play, but I, I think I'm just missing when this guy became, you know, a $20 player that we're confident in. Um, I've never, and I understand I'm on the wrong side of this one, I've never been a Keenan Allen guy. And then if for the second, I don't know how many of the last couple of years they've had Gronk. I know Garrett's had him a few times. But if your whole season is riding on whether or not Gronk is going to be the, like, video game tight end who's just a cheat code in fantasy, are you that comfortable in that right now? Yeah, I mean, to go back to the Browns point, like last year I think you had like four Browns, three in your starting lineup. This year they're just, all they have is Tyrod Taylor and then they're waiting until Baker Mayfield gets the chance and they hope they he throws to Josh Gordon. Now, me and Dave obviously love Josh Gordon. We disagree with you and love Keenan Allen. I think he was he was easily top five in the league in receptions and probably receiving yards last year. He's just a fantastic player. I think Mixon has talent. The offensive line is better. 2150 is right around where he should go. And like you said, Gronk, he's clearly the number one tight end. If he gets 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns, then yes, you have – the advantage every single week in the tight end position, but I just don't trust the depth they put behind him. Like, Pierre Garçon is moving into a number two auxiliary role on third downs. Ronald Jones, who Matt Ryan should know, clearly lost out to not only not only Peyton Barber, but Ujaquiz.com Rogers himself. He's the third string running back on that team. Des Bryant's not even on a team and they spent more than 50 cents on him. And Brita, I mean, I'm fine with. They tried to, he's, uh, after McKinnon went down, he's gonna be heavily involved. I just, there is a lot of risk here. I think Keenan Allen, Rob Gronkowski are gonna be great. Joe Mixon is going to be solid, but other than that, they need the Browns to play well. And they have Corey Davis, who the only Titans fan I've ever met, Jared Kling, was sitting next to us, and when we were bidding on him at $4, he was straight up saying, do not do that. This guy is a bum. He is not Brandon Marshall, who everyone expected him to be. Well, and and the other part that's so perplexing to me is they went home with $2.50. Like, why are you? Why are your quarterbacks Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield? If you if you invest that two fifty, you turn either one of those guys into Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, you know, or or anybody else. I mean, there, there were a lot of very you know mid range quarterbacks for three dollars, three fifty four. Um, you know, Goff went for two dollars. Roethlisberger four went a luck five. I, I mean, like. How is it you come out of this draft with two Browns quarterbacks, neither of which have a stranglehold in their job? And those are the guys you're going into it with. Exactly. And, I mean, the best advice you can get is that you need to know your league settings and who you're drafting with. So we're playing in a fucking 16-team league where not everyone, but most people will take two quarterbacks. How do you wind up with only the Browns situation? That's true. where, like you said, we got we got Jimmy Garoppolo for three bucks. Like there were quarterbacks, there were good quarterbacks for less than four dollars. You need to 
you need to at least play matchups, but they're strictly going to be hoping that they can read the Browns all year and that Josh Gordon is catching touchdowns. And I just, I just don't think it's a prudent strategy. And streaming quarterbacks and going late-round quarterback, while it's a great strategy in 12-team leagues and below, in a 16-team league, it's just – it's it's a rough spot to be in. We did it last year, and it led to us getting the wallet, starting with Andy Dalton. And while I like their studs, it's it's a worrisome way to go. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be pretty rough on these guys. I'm going to give this roster a five point eight. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give this roster a uh, oh no 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 no. <laughs> now, which nationality grandmother were you going for there? I'm gonna let the audience decide. Okay, I, I, to give the audience some perspective, when I heard that, I immediately went to old Italian woman, but a part, a little shades of old Cuban woman. So I'll let the audience come up with their own. Maybe some guys may opt for a little uh, Eastern European, you know, Russian block flair, but you know that's up to them. Um, so speaking of Cubans, um, next team was uh, Juan and Garrett, who surprisingly were both in attendance. I, I, I thought I didn't remember which one. I thought one of them was not supposed to show up. Um, right off the bat, I'll say, uh, shout out to them for tying the all-time record for highest bid. There goes Jay Ajayi. Um, I know my stream is like five minutes behind the actual game. So don't tell me if the Falcons have now come back and scored again, but Jay Ajayi is scoring his second touchdown of the night. Um, after I said that he was making, uh, Eric look like idiots. Um, and after telling him it was a good pick. So I think I, I think I break out even there. Shout out to them for spending $44 on David Johnson, tying Brian Westbrook for the highest ever uh, single-player salary. The thing I don't like about that is they had a $2 running back in Alvin Kamara. So walking into the draft, this team is at a massive, massive advantage, the biggest advantage in the league. They have the best keeper at the best price of anyone going. And it just – I don't like when a person makes a pick and then to justify it goes – well, we got Kamara and Johnson for $46. Like, I just don't know why you thought, okay, I'm going to overspend by $8 and justify it by saying I have a cheap keeper. So, like, why didn't you just get somebody else at 32 who was worth it and get an even better receiver and even better tight end? I, I just don't like the strategy. So I actually went up to Powers, uh, Mike, that is, not Dennis, and – mentioned this, we, we talked about the same thing. They had the best keeper of the draft. And, yeah, you can rationalize it saying you got Kamara and Johnson for, what, $23 each, which is phenomenal. But you went in with Kamara, the best keeper of the entire draft, and you walked out with him, David Johnson, and Devontae Adams, which is nice, but still, you overpaid for him, and only quarterback you came out with was is Jared the statue Goff. Like, yeah, I like him. I like his offense, but that's your that's your only quarterback. Devin Funches is garbage, but yeah, he'll catch some touchdowns and get a little bit of volume thrown his way. Even though DJ Moore's coming in and Greg Olson's coming back from injury, Kevin Coleman is the number two there. Robbie Anderson, yeah, he's a deep threat. Calvin Ridley, I actually don't like. I actually got into an argument at the draft. I think it was with Matt Ryan. Calvin Ridley does not have the athletic profile to be a number one or number two and 
Our boy Momo Sanu clearly beat him out for the number two role in uh, Atlanta. Corey Clement, he's hoping that Jay Ajayi goes down. Richard Matthews buried on the Titans depth chart. And Josh Rosen isn't going to start until Sammy Sleeves gets injured. Like, they had the best keeper, and I, I think they blew it. I think they, I think they blew it. Like, I like Johnson and Adams, but it's going in with the best keeper, you need to come out better than that. Totally, totally agree. And I actually, I, I don't, I, maybe I should rephrase what I said before that I didn't like the strategy. I didn't like the execution. I think the strategy of, I've got a $2 superstar, let me try and pack the roster with superstars, is an admirable position. Um, you know, because if they had played their cards right and not blown the surplus on Adams and Johnson, they could have then packaged that with, you know, like, and, and again, another perplexing thing here, why isn't, like, Drew Brees the quarterback of this team? Um, exactly. And then have another wide receiver who matters. It's just, uh, it's just so much to be desired with such a head start. It, you know, it, they just cheddar bob themselves so early, and then we're sitting around having wasted all their money. And, the, the, and, I'll, and for the life of me, I'll never understand how, and I, I can't get over this, we added last year, or was it two years ago, both of these pe- people's best friend in Jared Kling and Danny Miller, and Garrett and Juan refused to split up to partner with them individually. And I had to partner their best friends who don't know each other with each other. I'll never understand that. It, it makes no goddamn sense to me, and I'm still chapped about it, and I'm going to take it out on them in this draft grade that I'm already now pleased with. I'm going to give them a 4.2. Wow. Well, 4.20 is actually one of the, one of the nicer nicer grades you can give, but I agree. I, I, I'm, I'm going to give them a, uh, uh, you blew it. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's fair. I think that perfectly encapsulates it. Uh, and Next I don't up. remember, I don't remember, what, what's my single word name for that team? Is it Warrick or Juan? I don't know what I call those guys, but I need to come up with a, you know, Manpiro style, Jamario style name for that team uh, oh, that yeah. I can take in vain. All right. If you reverse it, you got Garrett in the front, one in the back, Juan. Ah, Guano, bat, bat poop. Guano, bat poop, perfect. <laughs> See, that's why we do this. They ask you what you do this for, this is why we do it. Um... So, Jason Connor, we, we were blessed with Jake's presence, uh, which I was not yeah. expecting. Um, what do you give the performance? What do you think the outcome is here? Okay, so I always I always actually appreciate and like Connor's drafts. Uh, typically, he's drafting by himself or with a Jake that is more worried about golf betting than he is about the fantasy draft, but... Before before we go into their players, which I think they had one of the first players on the board, and I think they got him at a good deal, they have a consistent, every single, at least for the last three years, they've had a consistent theme within their team, and I, I want to know if you can guess it right off the bat. Let me see. Let me give this roster a once-over. Is it the quarterback-wide receiver pairing? So, it's not the quarterback-wide receiver pairing, but it is the quarterback. And what happened is, two years ago, they had a woman, uh, a child beater in Adrian Peterson. <laughs> last year, last year, I 
think they went with Zeke Elliott, who also had some accusations against him. And this year, they go with Raplesberger. Like, this team clearly thinks there is some kind of abuser discount. They'll take the slap, whether it's on the back of the head or the side of the face, and they're more than willing to take that discount, the abuser discount to get these guys on their team. And I think it's a little bit of a unethical, dirty move, but it's what they seem to continue to go with. You know, I, I can't hate on a guy for chasing a discount and, and trying to find the inefficiency. I mean, Maybe in a few years, these two will write like the SBFFL version of Moneyball, where on-base percentage is replaced with uh, domestic violence. And as frankly, I will buy multiple hardcover copies of that book. But until that point, um, everything about this team doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, especially considering that when Connor first came in the league, I mean, he was a late entrance relatively. Compared, uh, think about the 15-year history here. And he had such a hot start, and he did so well, but it took him not showing up for Jake to draft the championship team um, that when they're both there, I feel like the mojo is weird. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, Jake wasn't, like, crazy Jake, and Connor wasn't, like, snipey, smart guy Connor. That, like, for some reason, the, the two of them being there together, like, diluted the whole. Like, they were less than the sum of their parts. Yeah, they definitely had the the opposite of synergy. And to be honest, like I like I like a couple of their players. Saquon Barkley, I thought for sure was going to go plus thirty to get him under thirty. I don't hate it. Trey Burton is everyone's sleeper, but they're very tied up in the Bears passing game with Allen Robinson as well. I think Aguilar, as long as uh, as long as Alshon Jeffrey is banged up, as we've seen tonight, he's just getting targeted out the ass and. Connor let his inner – oh, they also have Anthony Miller, who I actually think is going to be very good. So that's three Bears. But Connor let his inner Jets fan fly going with the uh, Sam Darnold and Bilal Pal. I actually like Sam Darnold, but uh, it, it's clear he was going heavy on Jets. And if they sustain any kind of an injury, they'll be really hoping that some one of these rookies or flyer picks really pans out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean – they seem to always be an active team, maybe, and I know that's mostly Connor. Um, Jake's more of a big-picture guy, as we in the business like to say. Um, I don't know who Michael Gallup is. If you told me that he was the CFO of a Fortune 500 company, I'd believe that. Um, I don't know who Anthony Miller is. I didn't think Toronto Mo Allison was a real person, and I demanded to see the sheet when somebody called him out. So I, I'm not in love with that. And I also... I don't love the Marlon Mack. I mean, I, I, he's one of those guys I saw in, like, 90% of fantasy articles leading up to the season, and it kind of seemed like nobody really knew what to make of that one. Um, so, you know, if, if Ben is in the, you know, I'm undervalued because I'm old and hobbled and, and somehow throws for 4,000 yards camp, then obviously they've got a kind of a little bit of a squad here, but considering where Le'Veon is and how many years in a row that offense has been so good, it feels like this is the regression year, and if that happens, I have to believe that Antonio Brown is going to fall off the pedestal. Um, and if I had to make a bet, Allen Robinson isn't going to be the guy who's going to take his place. So I'm not really in love with this team. Um, I'm going to give him a, a 6.9. Nice. Uh, and, and call it a day. Yeah, I mean, 
Marlon Mack, I mean, the Colts backfield, I don't like the Colts in general this year. Jordan Wilkins is going to get the start as the rookie. Michael Gallup, also a rookie. I mean, anyone has a chance to be the number one receiver in Dallas right now. Geronimo Allison, I mean, just a fantastic name. I mean, this team, I'm going to give them a... I get it, but why? Just why? Like, Plugging in Antonio Brown is the easiest pick each week, but there's there 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 are some question marks, especially at running back on this team. I mean, they're just gonna have to hope that Saquon Barkley could plug in there and they could just play wide receivers to the rest of the rest of the depth. Yeah, I hate the idea that you're gonna bet that heavily on a rookie. I mean, I love Saquon Barkley. I was devastated that he went to the Giants. I was praying he would go anywhere else so I could just root for him and and his Penn State roots uh, that I have largely, um, you know, given up on in recent years for obvious reasons. Uh, so excited to watch him. But the idea that, like, I'm going to pick a rookie with an aging quarterback and one of the best wide receivers in football and assume that this guy is going to be a top five back, it's just a lot. That's a lot to expect out of a guy like that. Yeah, I, to- I, I totally agree. And... I mean, we'll see. I mean, Brees, even a year ago when uh, Saquon was still at Penn State, was saying, I'm going to bet 30 on Saquon right now. Just give him to me. And to go for 28.50 is not the worst deal, but the rest of the depth is questionable, and I, I would say they're flyers. So let's go on to a new squad, which actually, I mean, you could splice it in right here, but I think they have a little bit of beef coming back from uh, last year's draft grades pro- podcast. This is uh this is Vinandello and well actually Vinish and and two AirPods. Fair. Uh, two thoughts real quick. Pretty sure Vinish drafts Adrian Peterson every year or tries to, and he bids the most. And then secondly, I think the team is not that good. Vinish, I'm gonna bet money that Vinish came up with the team name Odell Dix Peterson. That's got Vinish's name written all over it. AKA Dello, and uh, yeah, this is this is their squad. What do you think? You know, I'm a little upset Dello wasn't there because I think Dello brings some of the funniest complaining about my partner, like sticking my head in the sand and demanding we draft like the third string Ravens wide receiver comedy of anybody at the draft. So I feel a little bit cheated that he wasn't there. Um, I think. Aside from Christian McCaffrey, who, you know, I've seen a lot of the experts kind of split on, where, like, some guys absolutely love him and they think he's a lock and, and you know, you, you pick him, pick him, pick him. And then some guys just think, like, all right, if there's somebody to fade this year, it's him. They kind of have the, like, 2015 All-Star team with Eli, Julio, LaShawn McCoy, Mason Crosby, Danny Amendola was probably a sleeper back then. Deshaun Jackson was good back then. Charles Clay was unheralded, but kind of growing back then. And I really, one of my big things in fantasy is to not have that team. I hate having the three years past his prime team. So, real, real quick, as you were saying that, and as I'm looking at their team, Julio Jones just got choke slammed out of bounds, and once again, he's not able to haul in the touchdown catch to win it against the Eagles. You know, it, it's such a fitting end. It's such a fitting end to this awful, boring-ass game 
that Julio Jones would actually catch the ball this year but end up five yards out of bounds and the Eagles would beat the Falcons in a game they had no business winning. I love it. It's, football season is back. The Eagles might never lose again. That's on the table right now. And I couldn't be happier. So talking about Eagles and former Eagles, Deshaun McCoy, definitely a risk. I mean, I, he's got he's got a shitty offense, a shitty offensive line. He's got uh, legal trouble surrounding him. But if he plays, 1950 is a great price for him. Julio, as you've seen tonight, he's going to get fed, and he's down for he's uh, bound for positive touchdown regression. He only had, like, three last year. Even though Steve Sarkeesian's his offensive coordinator, he's bound to grab a couple touchdowns. I actually love Christian McCaffrey this year. I think White Boy Supreme is the first, like, legit... We talked about it last year where you were talking shit of someone going $24 for McCaffrey. He's the first legit running back that can catch the ball, and I think he's going to be good... All they have is Eli Manning, at quarterback, who's going up against Jacksonville in week one, which is, I know Dell is a Giants fan, but, I mean, you, you need to start someone else week one. I guess they have Keenum, who they could slot in. I've been on the Dotson train. Like, this guy, he can catch touchdowns, but I don't want him in my starting lineup. No. Robert Woods, Amendola hopefully takes over Jarvis Landry's role. Deshaun Jackson has been usurped by Godwin. Like this team is a couple years a couple years ago they had studs, but they're just not holding their spots right now. Tied in with Jared Cook, I don't know this team. Mixed mixed feelings on this team. Great Photoshop, great team name, but I just oh, don't know God. if they're going to have enough production throughout the throughout the season. Yeah, I think from a quarterback perspective, they, again, I love the strategy, hate the execution in the Eli Manning pick that I'm a huge fan in taking a guy whose entire season outlook moving forward is it can't be any worse than last year. So riding that logic, if you would want it, like if Andy Dalton was the quarterback of this team, I would be happier than if it was Eli Manning because at least you'd say, Okay, you literally got this guy for free because it's impossible for him to be worse than he was last year. Therefore, it's just a question of how much better he will he be, and maybe I'll have find myself a bargain. But with Eli, I don't like to do that with a quarterback who's like 40 years old because it may just be over. So you make a good point, but at the same time, if you think Odell Beckham is going to have a good year, if you think Evan Engram is going to have a good year, if you think Sterling Shepard is going to be a good option, if you think um, Saquon Barkley can catch the ball out of the backfield, then by definition, you think Eli Manning is going to be at least halfway decent because he's going to be tossing to these dudes who are just going to go yak, yak crazy. But at the same time, it's... It's it's tough sledding, and you're just really hoping his dumbass face has at least one year left in him. See, I think it's possible that like those guys. I, like, I'm not an Evan Ingram guy for exactly that reason. I know he's got all the talent in the world, but at some point, there's only so many footballs to go around. And if the quarterback's buried seven yards behind the line of scrimmage, six feet underground, uh, that's going to limit the numbers. And then Odell's going to have to get his quota. Zaquan's going to get what he gets. And there ain't going to be a lot left. Um, you know, I think it wouldn't surprise me if, if Odell and Shepard kind of traded off 
you know, home run games, but I don't know. Something about that, and, and, and there's also the possibility that it's not Eli Manning who throws all those guys all the points. You know, a guy at his age, something goes wrong, the guy misses eight games, and all of a sudden we've got, I don't know who the fuck the backup is there. He's probably a disaster considering it's the Giants. But, you know, we've got somebody else kind of leading an offense full of weapons uh, as the 40-year-old misses five games with a, you know, grade two hamstring pull. Yeah, I totally agree. So my grade for them is, uh, 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 yeah, I feel very similarly. I'm going to give them, I, oof, I'm going to give them a, uh, 6.0 amateur score. Um, is it an amateur score if you call it a point oh? I think it's an amateur score if you just call it a six, right? I, I I would tend to agree with that. I mean, I know it's very easy to go 6.1, but as long as you go point oh, I think it's a fair score. So let's move on to uh, to Jamario, who I honestly think every single year their strategy is who outperforms last year and let's overpay for him this year and let's go for someone who we think is going to take a leap. I mean, it's really their strategy, I think, every year. So Alex Collins, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill, all were undervalued last year, and they're willing to go in on them. This year, Michael Thomas, they got him for cheaper than they paid for him last year. Still a lot, but I do agree he's an elite receiver. I mean, we had him in his rookie year. And they have, I, w- I won't say his name, I'll let you say his name, but... I tight end. They have someone who I think is going to catch a lot of touchdowns. So who do you Ooh. think that? I mean, you know, of anybody in the league, there's no bigger Najoku fan than your boy, yours truly. But even I think 550. I mean, I know the tight end middle class was kind of a who's who of this guy could take a leap uh, kind of players. If I read that about one guy in that middle class. I read it about every single guy in that middle class. I just, I don't, when there's that many sleepers, I'd rather just not play in that pool. Um, You know, but I think the thing that always sums up these two, if I could ever put one word on their draft strategy, it's just overthinking it. You know, like, every year, these guys, like, they clearly spend, you know, the entire uh, offseason talking about, sleepers and guys who are available and who should we pick and who does Matthew Berry like and, you know, who, who's the guy popping up all over the place. And then instead of sprinkling one or two of them into their roster, they go and get all of them. And so they don't spend $30 on a staple. They don't go out and get a reliable quarterback. Basically, they overpay for two middle-class guys as if they're upper-class guys, and then they fill the entire rest of the roster with $7 players who should be $3 players. Yeah, I mean, I I totally see what you're saying. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I actually really like the talent of Patrick Mahomes, but look at his early season schedule. Just look at the first, like, six weeks. It is brutal. And then going to Mitch Trubisky, they finally upgraded from John Fox in a 1982 offense. They gave him a bunch of weapons. I I like that they'll have that. Dede Westbrook is clearly behind Keelan Cole and Dante Moncrief, for that matter. DJ Moore is an exciting rookie, but at the same time, he's buried on the depth chart. Jordan Wilkins is going to get a shot. Austin Eckler and Dante Foreman, they're hoping for injuries to Melvin Gordon and Lamar Miller. Like, it's 
it's it's a bench that really just needs a lot of things to break their way, and the starting lineup that I actually I actually like Alex Collins. I think sixteen is a fair a fair uh, bet for them, but. During bye weeks and bad matchups, I think they're gonna be they're they're gonna be hurting. Yeah, I I think that's a fair assessment. You know, I I think the problem for me with the Mahomes pick here is if you're gonna take a guy who's an unproven starter and you know, without like an absolutely electric offense, like who's not a no brainer, who's not like an Andrew Luck rookie or something like that, or even if you are taking that guy. Isn't the point that you're going to take them with the thought that if they're dynamic, I'll keep them twice? But at 450, Mahomes isn't a keeper next year if he's the fourth-best quarterback in the league. I, I hear that, but at the same time, like, if he is, like you said, dynamic, I'm surprised he still went up to 450, but you'll probably be able to get him for around that price next year. If Drew Brees goes for 550, I can't see Patrick Mahomes going for much more than that next year. Quarterback seems to have been totally depressed this year, and everyone has finally adopted, in in snake draft terms, the late round quarterback um, ethos. Yeah, a, a little color on this team. <clears throat> I think they, for the ninth straight year, led the league in uh, shot clock violations where they just asked for time to figure out what they were doing and then just whispered for, like, three to six minutes without making a decision. Uh, they were kind of famous for that, and they did not disappoint this year. Um, also, I think, you know, one of the things I've really come to appreciate over the years is how much of the lifting Mario is actually doing. Yep. You know, Jimmy likes to make it seem like you know, oh, like, wink, wink, laugh, laugh. How funny is it that Mario thinks he's running the show here? And then if you went back over time, and even if, like, let's just take a very unofficial count of how many Chiefs have been on the roster the last, you know, like, or what percentage of payroll has been allocated to Chiefs over the last 10 years, and it's pretty clear who runs the show here. Yeah, I mean, we've got a Chiefs stack. I mean, Mahomes to Tyreek, we had Tyreek last year. He's a fun player to have. Zero Eagles, and when I went over to talk to Mario, he's talking to me about third-string Chiefs slot cornerbacks. Like, this guy's fucking on the ball and clearly making the majority of decisions for this team. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's such a shocking development, um, and I hope one of these years Jimmy can reestablish himself as, you know, the rightful owner of this club. And I, you know what I think might have happened is back in the day, Jimmy played enough Madden that he knew what was going on all the time and he knew all the players, but I think now as an adult with a job and a girlfriend and all that kind of stuff, he's just not playing enough Madden to know who the players are, but I think Mario is still playing that much Madden. I don't know for sure, but I have a gut feeling. He's either playing Madden or watching preseason game film, but either way, what's your grade on this squad? I'm going to give this team... I'm a sucker for upside. I'm a huge sucker for upside. But at the end of the day, I, just, I, I, I truly cannot imagine this team as a playoff team as it's currently constructed. And this is not a team with an extensive history of making deals. So I'm going to give this team a 5.6. Yeah, I'm going to give this team a... 
can see what you're going for, but eh, I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't know if I'm going for it. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's well, let's, on to yeah. One yeah, of the other old men of the here. league. Let's move on to uh, Bob and Jimmy. It starts off with Russell Wilson, who I think last last year, I wish I would have bet on on it with you, but you were talking a lot of shit about Russell Wilson. I said he was going to finish top seven, top eight, and he wound up finishing as the number one quarterback, so getting him for eight bucks isn't terrible, but right under that, Le'Veon Bell, Juju Smith-Schuster, we got to get into the Le'Veon Bell. That is... That could turn out to be one of the more brutal picks in recent league history. Yeah, and, and I mean, we have a pretty late draft, considering I think our draft is, you know, timeline-wise, right where it should be to be to miss most of the preseason injuries, if not all of them, and not get exactly who's starting on every team. Uh, so you get a few up-in-the-air position things. But, I mean, if, if we had held our draft two days later, I mean, Le'Veon might have gone for $10 cheaper. And then you're in the territory of, okay, fuck it, even if he misses four games, I'll still pay $20-something for the best running back in football. But to pay absolute peak retail, I mean, it's nice that you were, you know, you saved $7 and if you had gone for David Johnson, but to pay peak retail for a guy who, as of right now, looks like he's not playing week one is a fucking nightmare. Yeah, so... They only saved six fifty. Only six fifty on David Johnson. But at the same time, I'm I'm actually in another league where the um Le'Veon Bell owner is going against the person who picked up James Conner. And I thought oh. those are those are grounds to fight someone. If someone plays James Conner against you and you have Le'Veon Bell, you should be allowed to fight them. I you know what? Is that happening in this league? Do we know? I, no, I don't believe it's happening. Uh, week, at least not week one. Okay, okay. I would love so, if that was the case. So there were there were two theories about Le'Veon Bell right now. It's either he's gonna just ski, uh, report on Friday or Saturday, get that game one game check, and uh, play week two, or that he skips six weeks because you only have to play 10 weeks to accrue a season, so he can go into free agency um, only playing 10 weeks. So they are walking a very fine tightrope, hoping he just collects the game one, uh, week one game check, skips it, and then plays two through the rest of the season. I'm curious. I mean, if you're if this is your roster and you're... Bob Ryan. I mean, uh, as soon as you acclimate the, you know, your aching sciatica, uh, would you entertain a trade offer for Le'Veon Bell? I mean, you could, but at the same time, if you're if you're selling him now, you're selling him at low value. Like, what are people actually going to offer you for Le'Veon Bell while he's still in between? I feel like if you're going to spend thirty-seven fifty, you have to be willing to sacrifice at least one week, and then move on and try to play on the other thing. I mean, they have other holes on their team. I mean, yeah, they they picked up Alfred Morris, who is going to wind up being a starting running back for four bucks, but at the same time, like, Juju's the number two. Demarius, I honestly think Emmanuel Sanders is going to outscore him, and Tariq Cohen is clearly behind Jordan Howard. Like, they definitely have some starting question marks on this team, especially while Le'Veon is out. 
Yeah, and, and Tariq Cohen has the he has the feel of the theoretic Chris Thompson, Darren Sproles, but Jordan Howard is a three down back. That guy's not coming off the field. No, not at all. I mean, Jordan Howard has been a truly legit, truly legit, uh, at least first and second down back. And, like, their coaches have talked him up as being involved on third down. And if he just catches at least, like, 10, 20% more passes, then Tariq Cohen's role, like, greatly diminishes. Yeah, and I, I want to say a lot of his production last year came in games that Jordan Howard missed. So if you don't get that injury time... You know, where does that come from? And uh, they do have a legit sleeper at a good price in Mike Williams. Everybody fucking loves that guy. Yeah. I don't know what mega jacked, you know, tight end of the year's past he gets pumped to if it's Terrell Owens or peak David Boston or something, but everybody fucking loves that guy. So I, I really do like the wide receiver action here. I really like the quarterbacks. I think Russell Wilson, you know what? I have to eat crow on that one. The guy produces, despite the fact that they have no one playing offensive line there. And I love Marcus Mariota as a buy-low quarterback. Again, that's a guy you could have had for $2. How there's other teams that have only Browns quarterbacks, I have no idea. Um, I'm not an Evan Ingram guy, but for the price, for the keeper value, I mean, it's an, it's an obvious take. Um, I think this is a good roster. I I hate to say it, there's nothing I enjoy more than having Bob and Jimmy take home like a D draft rating, because I know that while Jimmy knows it's going to happen, that it, it actually like raises his body temperature by like four to six degrees and gives him a running fever when he sees his baby, his his like draft day precious, receive like an absolutely abysmal draft grade. But in the podcast, at least, I reserve the right to give him a D in the draft grades, because the, the person you're listening to now and the person who writes the write-ups are two different people. Uh, I kind of like what I see here. I, I I don't love it. I like it. I think I'm going to give it a 7.3. Oh, okay. That's that's pretty fair. I mean, before I give my grade out, I will say, uh, starting from the bottom, Mike Kosicki, who's, uh, I think he's out of Penn I think he's pretty sure he's out of Penn State. Uh, the Dolphins are going to use him in the red zone. Kenny Galladay's baby Tron. I think he's going to start to overtake Marvin Jones for that number one role. Alfred Morris lucked into a role. Uh, he's, he, he, I mean, he's going to be halfway decent, a solid flex play. Like you said, Mike Williams, he was the number seven. Number seven, I think. He was definitely top 15 pick last year in the draft and was injured all last year. Keenan Allen's going to draw the coverage. He's going to—he's definitely going to emerge with Hunter Hurst Hemsley out. I like—I like the depth on this team. Um, the, uh, the draft grade for this team is going to be like—I I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm not so sure. <laughs> Where's Al? He's at our store. Sorry, I don't know if anyone's going to get that reference. Um, you know, but if you watch copious amounts of Nickelodeon growing up, I'm, I'm sure that'll that'll come on to you. Um, at least, at least, at least one person will. I was surprised to hear that like SpongeBob's been running for like 20 years on Nickelodeon. I mean, if if you think I'm playing any other kid show for my kid than SpongeBob, you just don't understand the game. Because I genuinely would watch that now in my spare time. I love SpongeBob. 
Yeah, it was like a combo of SpongeBob and Fairly Odd Parents that ran for like 15 plus years each. Underrated show, Fairly Odd Parents. Big time underrated. Yeah. What was the other one? Who was the kid? Uh, oh, God. Uh, there was another one of those shows that I always thought was so underrated. Um, Fairly Odd Parents, who's the kid with the magic chalk? Chalk? There was some kid who had like a magic piece of chalk and he would like draw on his chalkboard and make shit come to life. That was a vast I thought you were go show. like Dexter's Laboratory or Jimmy Neutron, but I'm, you know, I'm not familiar with the chalkboard. Yeah, I think I went with a show that only guys with younger brothers would know because it was like five years past our time. So I was kind of watching it with that like older brother disdain, like everything that wasn't my generation blows, and then I kind of fell in love with it. We're gonna have so, to Dave, we're gonna have to ask Dave about it next week, but let's uh let's move on to uh Kevin Squared over here and be continue. Thank you. 